dark save for light being cast from the big tv screen and the imminent sunrise that's teasing the one starry sky with whispers of morning hey george hey lions how's it going uh it's going all right but i feel like um we need to construct additional hosts like, I don't, Ooh, okay i, I don't yeah, feel yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. enough hosts well, I think between your skill set of having, you know, good computer and AI and my ability to rend flesh together as a chemist, um, I think we could probably do that. Hang on one second. Let's go do that. I feel so uninformed about what a chemist does now. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not take chemistry in high school? Not the cool chemistry, apparently. No, that's but why the- you didn't become a chemist. Anybody who takes a cool chemistry class immediately is like, this is what I want to do for the rest <laughs> of my life. <laughs> but, th- but this is good. We now have an additional host, Patrick. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be with you guys. Um, thank you so much for having me on the show today. Yeah, welcome. Um, yeah, absolutely. Thanks you for joining us. We will uh, give you a moment to uh, tell us about who you are and, and why you're here. But uh, first, why don't you tell everybody what game you are here to have played? What game you are here to have done played with us previously? <laughs> I have indeed done played a game, and the game I've played <laughs> today uh, with you guys, of course, over the past few weeks is StarCraft 1. Um, it's a game that I've wanted to play for a very long time. I've been trying to convince my co-host, James, to play it for a long time, but he's kind of uh, a bit iffy on RTS games. You know, they tend to be big time sinks. So this seemed to be a perfect opportunity to get my teeth into this game. Yeah, and, and I feel you on that because I've been wanting to play Warcraft for a long time. And when I suggested that to the group and you were like, what about StarCraft? I was like, ooh, StarCraft. Let's do StarCraft instead, because then it's the <laughs> guest choice and I look generous. <laughs> well, yeah, Warcraft is an interesting one as well. But I guess from what I've seen of the original Warcraft games, like Warcraft 1 and 2, even though they seem pretty well balanced, they also seem maybe a bit too primitive for me. And I know that StarCraft really represented an evolution of the genre into something new and fantastical so that's where i wanted to go first well interestingly uh and this this kind of dovetails nicely into nostalgia experience is uh i am aware of warcraft but man everybody i knew played starcraft so if you if you said warcraft i'm like dude did anybody ever play that game really i mean everybody played starcraft right you know that's that's the game and and i think there was a weird culture war thing going and and luckily (laughs) i missed it but i I think you're right because i was warcraft kid and i didn't have friends that played starcraft we all played warcraft but let, let's quickly uh summarize the game so this came out uh the end of march actually uh 1998 so we're we're coming up on an anniversary as of recording uh it's obviously a pc game and uh here's my my summary for starcraft uh starcraft is a cornerstone real-time strategy game where players gather resources build bases and train units to accomplish various mission objectives starcraft features three warring races the kentucky fried humans the buggers from Ender's Game, if Ender's Game had been written by H.P. Lovecraft, and department store mannequins brought to life by the Catholic Church. There's a single narrative that spans all three of those races, and you have to eventually play as all three races to get the entire story. So that's that's what we did. Yep, that 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 all sounds accurate. I think that was actually verbatim what was written on the back of the box. Yeah, and in, in the U.S. <laughs> version, yes. Yeah, they, de- <laughs> and, um, they definitely put that. Are you guys aware that 
this game was originally a Warhammer 40,000 IP that uh, they lost the rights to it and had to quickly reform it into something else. Did not know that. That is no. fascinating. No, <laughs> it, it, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it, right? Because the Terrans are the humans, the Zerg are the Tyranids, and of course the Protoss are the Elder. And obviously they're not exactly the same because they had to make a lot of tweaks, but the similarities are striking. Hmm. Oh, hmm. that's that actually explains something because the people I did know who played StarCraft also all loved Warhammer. So mm-hmm. there there's because I've I know nothing about Warhammer except that you have to mortgage your house to buy miniatures. So <laughs> that the I can see like, oh yeah, those two things did kind of usually go together in the fans of those two series. That's huh. Weird. Um so my nostalgia experience for this is pretty much just uh, I, I didn't play it. Um, I played Warcraft and I, I liked Warcraft a lot. Um, funnily, uh, I never got to play Warcraft 3 because I lent it to my friend in college who promptly lost it and then lied to me and said he returned it. Ah. So <laughs> so I only played the first two as uh, a much younger kid. And I was always kind of Starcraft curious just because people talked about it a lot. But I just assumed it's Warcraft in space, right? It's the same thing, just reskinned so that it will appeal to a different kind of audience. Uh, and it turned out I was super wrong. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I can at least now say that I've played it. But my my experience uh, was I went in with totally false assumptions. And uh, now we're recording an episode about it. Um, George, where did you come from with this? So I could I could sit here and tell you that, you know, like a bunch of kids played it in the computer lab and they were really good at it and I was really bad at it. But I don't want to talk about that. What I want to talk about <laughs> is is five years outside of college. I was like 25, something like that. Right. Um, 25, 26. Uh, we my my wife and I were sitting in a mall in Ohio and um and i literally saw you know like a uh, parents and at this point being a parent was like horrifying to me it still is to a degree but you know <laughs> um uh, two parents and they had like seven children right so there were two in the stroller right and then the other five were just swirling around them like a meat grinder of of, of people <laughs> just just like and they're just barely able to keep this cohesive group from flying out of existence you know like it, into all corners of the mall right and like megan and i are just supposed to stare at this like like near travesty as it's walking by i just said spawn more overlords you know (laughs) (laughs) i get that now yeah right and so and so and then megan laughed and i was like oh it's it's starcraft you know but uh but yeah that was literally the only thing i could think of in that moment was i was like you 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 have too many units for how many overlords you have you need more overlords (laughs) (laughs) so uh so that's my nostalgia experience for this game how about you, Patrick? So uh, it's interesting you guys said that you're either a Warcraft kid or a Starcraft kid. So I was something else. I was a Command and Conquer kid. Uh, mm. So my dad growing up really liked the Command and Conquer and Red Alert games. So that was the only RTS I was ever exposed to. And they're of a breed that is far simpler than the Blizzard RTSs. It's very much about building millions of tanks. And then you have a 100 <laughs> tank on 100 tank battle and whoever has the more tanks wins. So I didn't really get into the Blizzard RTS craze until Warcraft 3, uh, which I love to pieces. That's one of my favorite RTSs of all time. And then later Starcraft 2. And then after watching people play pro Starcraft 2, I eventually started watching professional Starcraft 1 matches. So... 
my nostalgia experience is entirely as a spectator. Like, I mm-hmm. would watch these professional StarCraft players play and it would blow my mind just <laughs> how incredible these people played. And I watched, you know, Artosis and Tasteless cast these matches. So, yeah, my nostalgia is not rooted in an experience I had playing these games, but instead in spectating them. And that is something yeah. I am genuinely looking forward to. I have two things that I could not do before we recorded the episode. One was watch professionals because I was like, this feels almost like research like it can wait it can, i'll just I'll do it <laughs> i i would i would have called you on that one right though. like i was just like ah, yeah. i'll wait I'll, I'll wait until after we record the episode so i, I am excited because uh, i have heard even just the description of what it's like to watch a professional play starcraft well, sounds like someone like a virtuoso on the piano so that's exciting mm-hmm. if you i mean the, the one thing that blew my mind and, I, and i'm gonna screw it up because i can't remember it all exactly off the top of my head but like one of the metrics that they use to measure whether or not you know like it's supposed to you know yards gained or anything like that they would measure basically inputs per second oh you know God. like how many how <laughs> many yeah actually you're right you're right yeah that's right actions per second yeah or actions per minute right where it's like how many actions you can take in that short amount of time and yeah just i i saw it one time and i and it's it is akin to somebody who says you're you're pretty good at chess right and i'm like oh, i'm pretty good and then watching a grandmaster play a timed match against another grandmaster you're like oh no i have no idea what i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it, right it's just like i i was like i can't watch that and not have it kind of like pollute my experience uh, the other thing I'm looking forward to is uh, Wings of Liberty, which is the first campaign of StarCraft 2, mm. is also free. So Battle.net has the original StarCraft, which is what we played, not the remastered, the OG, uh, and Wings of Liberty available for free. And I was like, oh, I'm uh, like, I'll give Wings of Liberty a try because that's the one everybody gushes about, right? People, once StarCraft 2 came out, people kind of stopped gushing about StarCraft 1. So I was like, oh, I'm going to try that super should not do that before we record the episode because that will be a confounding factor so i actually uh, literally as i was setting up my recording equipment i installed it so it's ready to go <laughs> yeah i i think i'll be drawing on starcraft 2 as a comparison point i can't help it i mean i've i've oh, yeah. played all the starcraft 2 campaigns previously but i'll do my best to explain it to you guys as i make those comparisons <laughs> well because it's not research because you didn't do it for this game you know no. it's only research if after you start playing you, you you go and you're like oh you know like i need to go dig further into this so like if i've watched right. a youtube video before we even start playing it I, I can't be faulted for that you know but if i watch a youtube video after we've got it on the docket then it's research that's and then illegal. It's illegal yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly right yes we have to follow our own made-up laws because without yeah. that society crumbles um, we should chill a little bit um let's do ours uh, super fast uh you can find all of our social stuff in the show notes um, if you like what we're doing, go leave us a rating and review. Uh, if you follow us or follow, if you subscribe to us on our Patreon, uh, you get the after show. Everybody gets the after show, no matter what level you support us at. But if you support us at a high enough level, we will shout you out. So first, we have to shout out our 8-bit classics. Yarno. A hardcore marine. Jason. A toasty firebat. John. A cute zergling. And Kevin. A speedy mutilisk. And our 16-bit heroes, Jacob. A massive ultralisk. Michael. A zealotous zealot. And our full 3D supporter, David. An archon with power overwhelming. <laughs> that one's cool. That's a good one. All right, right. well done. Now, let's, <laughs> let's give the rest of uh, our, our assigned shilling time to Patrick. Patrick, 
what are you doing here? Where'd you come from? How do people find you? And why will all those links also be in the show notes? Thank you so much. Yeah, so uh, I'm the host of a podcast called the Retrospectives Podcast. And honestly, it's very similar to what you guys do. We play classic games of the past, and then we have an in-depth discussion on our show over whether they've truly stood the test of time. Um, we really try to stay clear of any and all nostalgia uh, when we do our show, you know, somewhat similar to you guys, but maybe even even more so. So we just play them as modern players of the video game and we just talk honestly about our experiences. And I think the um, the fascinating thing about it that we've discovered as we've been doing our show for three years now is that sometimes it's not just that they've stood the test of time. Sometimes these games do things with their gameplay design, audio design, etc. that is better than what modern games do. And of course, sometimes they do them far worse. And the, <laughs> the, the, the example I always want to bring up as a game that was incredible for me uh, is Resident Evil Remake. We, we played the version for the GameCube, a game that I know is famous, but which I'd never played before, that combined tank controls, fixed camera angles, limited infantry space, saving being tied to an item. It's like a checklist of things that you could never see in modern game design because it's been cast out as being outdated and clunky and too much. But together, that game produced an experience unlike any I've ever had. And it's one of the best games I've ever played precisely because of its outdated game mechanics. So I I like doing the show not just to tear to shreds the garbage games of the past that people hold in high regard, but also to uncover these gems of game design that I think is still worth people's time to play today. I I think you nailed the fun part of being a critic, right? Anybody can crap on somebody else's favorite thing uh, or praise the gems, but finding something where every facet of it seems like it shouldn't have held up and then trying to understand Oh, how does this work? Like, how does this recipe produce a palatable dish? Like, that's that's the fun part. That's where all the meat is. And also, I actually find some minor joy in the the, the true existential crisis of, oh, my God, I remember this as being the most fun thing in the world. How did I find this palatable at any point in my life? You know? Mega Man X3. Mega, uh, Man, Mega X3. Man X3 or uh, <laughs> uh, what was it? Uh, Golden Axe, man. <laughs> that that one haunts you i think that it does no and it was like our third one and i was like oh my god but yeah you know like stuff like that where, where you know you say like oh my god i because because i think it, it, it makes you a, a more um uh, uh refined recommender of, of video games right because if somebody come up to me they're like i'm looking for an old video game to play i would have been like golden axe and then they would have judged me as a person you know? <laughs> rightfully well, I, so <laughs> i i think there's something really fascinating one of the reasons i wanted to start the show was because there seemed to be a disconnect between how people spoke about these classic games and what it was like when I actually sat down and played them. Mm. Like I'd sit down and play them and I just wouldn't understand the constant stream of nine out of tens, 10 out of tens, (laughs) the minimalization of what I saw as major design flaws and the excessive praise heaped on aspects of the game, which I thought were mediocre at best. And I just couldn't understand it. And I realize it's because people were coming at it, you know, in the context of the times in which the game was produced, which is which is a fine way to talk about video games. But it felt like my position as a person playing the game today was kind of 
invalidated somehow. Like I couldn't find anyone else that had the same opinion as me. So I'm like, well, I may as well put that opinion out in the air. Oh, <laughs> I, 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 I should probably tell you where to find us. So our website is rspodcast.net. It's got every episode we've done as well as a bunch of articles that my me and my pod, uh, podcast co-host James have written about old games and news. So if you want to check us out, the one one stop drop is our website, rspodcast.net. Yeah, and links to you and your stuff, as well as the uh, all the podcast stuff. Um, there, there's been a long running joke that I don't put things in the show notes except the things that are always there. But this stuff will, for realsies, all be in the show notes. So uh, <laughs> if you didn't have a pen and paper when he just said rspodcast.net, um, it will be in the show notes. Um, so why don't we then uh, go talk about the game we played um, and talk about the audio and the visuals for StarCraft One? So Patrick, do you want to start us off? Um, sure, I'd be delighted to. Uh, I guess I've got several notes here, but one of the things I want to start on are the graphics for the RTS being a little rough uh, in terms of their textures and presentation. Um, this isn't a. This is a game from 1996, uh, so it lacks the fidelity of modern game design, and I think that it actually mostly works for this game to have a rougher, lower texture, lower polygon count for all these units for two of the three factions. So StarCraft belongs to, I guess, the broad genre of being a sci-fi Western. So with the Terrans, they're kind of like frontier humans going into space and oh my so god is that the... is that how the terrans read to a non-american because i found their portrayal <laughs> very insulting really I, okay that's yeah. interesting so <laughs> I, I guess i guess most of my understanding of this genre comes from other science fiction so kind of like firefly westworld um you know cowboy bebop uh even uh, even Robert Heinlein's stuff, like uh, Time Enough for Love or The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Yeah, this yeah, whole yeah. This whole genre of, I guess, the wild, wild, you know, space being the, a frontier similar to the wild, wild west. What what way was it insulting? Is it because it's got the whole confederacy, uh, yeah. I guess, South, <laughs> South American perspective? Is is that what it was? Yeah, it's it's the fact that all the humans are... I think with like one or two exceptions, all the humans are ignorant, white, redneck, Southern yeah. Americans, <laughs> like the, <laughs> the most Looney Tunes portrayal of, I mean, granted the, the Protoss are also shown to be like religious. I mean, one of the units is literally called a zealot, um, <laughs> hmm. but, but they're not humans. They're just humanoid. So uh, I, I didn't mean to derail you, but just the fact that you were like, ah, oh, they're, they're like cowboys. And I was like, Oh my God, I hope that's how everybody interprets it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the Confederacy are the bad guys in the story, so maybe that's the hand wave that they use to get away with it. But, that's true. But I, th I, I thought this portrayal of the Terrans as being... Like, if you look at their buildings, it's often a lot of hunks of metal that just seem awkwardly slapped together, and I think that that rougher look actually suits the Terrans as being not as technologically advanced, as being people who are just kind of throwing things together in order to make a living. Um, and I think for the Zerg, it works as well. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever played Quake, but uh, mm -hmm. there are a couple of monsters in Quake, the Shambler and the Fiend, and the low resolution of the textures, textures and everything, I think, enhance the 
the fear that you get from these creatures. Like, if you could clearly see and understand what they looked like, they'd be far less scary than you having to use your imagination to fill in the gaps to better understand what these monsters look like. So I think it only really fails for the Protoss, and this is something that StarCraft 2 does better. They should The high-tech Protoss shouldn't be looking kind of like rough and low polygon. That should be looking pristine and brilliant. So, mm. yeah, I, I just want to say that I think this is one of the instances where I actually prefer the aesthetic of StarCraft 1 to a lot of modern RTS games because the rougher look i think enhances the immersion of the experience yeah i i I like that i like that assessment um i i think that and i i would definitely agree that you know if there was one one race that was going to have everything looking like it just came out of the box brand new um you'd you'd want it to be the protoss right um one one thing that i think kind of feeds into that that um uh is that uh, so everything's low poly, right? And so they didn't, they didn't have like a, a a lot of or a lot of pixels to work with, right? Because all of the um the sprites are are like two dimensional, and then you know they have real three D in in some areas. But one of the things that I thought they did very well is all of the silhouettes for each of the different um units. Everything is wildly distinct, you know. So at at a glance, you're not going to confuse. A zealot with a zergling, with a hydralisk, with an ultralisk, with a marine. With I did that back. The, the marines and the fire bats don't have a wildly different silhouette, you know. But colors, even then, though. you know what colors? Right, yeah. You know, so their their colors tend to be different. But again, so so the nice thing is that in in a game where you're desperately trying to process as much information as possible, you can take a quick glance at the screen and say, okay, there's you know five dragoons three zealots and an archon coming towards me you know uh and and they're all from protoss and so i know exactly what what to do with that information so uh even though um the the definitely some of the the low poly and that that kind of that granularity um did didn't age well across the board i think that the uh, way that they leveraged that low resolution to create distinct silhouettes i, th- I think actually do, uh, does still hold up yeah, I, I have that exact same note, actually, um, to the point where I even had to slow down and spell out silhouettes, because <laughs> I always forget how to spell it. Um, but I, I got there without spell check. Uh, but the thing that I like about the silhouettes is they're not only distinct race to race, but there's a little bit of consistency um within the unit types across races so like the the zerg is it the drones that that mine and build buildings right Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. the drones have kind of like a triangle shape and the the workers uh for the terrans have kind of like a triangle shape right and for the protoss they have like kind of a triangle shape so you the player don't have to completely forget oh, that triangle shape is not a combat unit. That's like a doing stuff unit, right? Um, the the ghosts, which are a Terran unit, um, look a lot like the allegory unit for the Protoss. I can't remember the name of it, right? It's like taller Templar. and skinnier. Yeah, and, and like just uh, a little Templar, bit. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, just like narrower, right, in frame, not like the bigger, beefier units, right? So even though um, they they look distinct enough that you can never possibly confuse them. They kind of share like a 
shape family across the races. Um, the, the largest buildings are always the, your main base or your layer or your whatever, right? Like the, the barracks all kind of have a similar, like imposing blockiness. So you get this weird consistency that also immediately conveys differences. It's, it's very well thought out because there's the million units and there's 30 different kinds of buildings and every race then has to have their own version of those things. Even though they play very differently, they have enough similarities that they had to think that out. Like you would never just accidentally be like, Oh, we made all of the worker units look like triangles. What an amazing and happy coincidence. So I I thought like the silhouettes are thoughtful to the point of like, wow, someone put a lot of time into this. And then at the very end of the game, like at the, the last couple of missions for the, the Protoss episode, um, you actually have all the races on screen at the same time. And you even have multiple factions. So now the colors become extra super important because you have like this Zerg brood and that Zerg brood and these Protoss and those two different Terran factions. And you're all kind of, it's still good guys versus bad guys. They're not all simultaneously warring, but it at least narratively communicates these people are from this faction. Those people are from that brood. These people are from this Protoss tribe and, and it makes them immediately recognizable right up until there's too, too many of them on screen, but I'll, I'll talk about that more later. <laughs> and I think it's important not to underemphasize just how important that is. Like we're not just talking about aesthetics for aesthetic stake, uh, sake here as, um, as George mentioned, there is so much going on at any one time in terms of what you need to manage Every single one of these little things makes the gameplay experience of controlling a thousand units and a thousand buildings just a little bit easier. So it's good that the design of this game aesthetically kind of t- picks up a bit of the slack of um, of trying to control your armies and build up your bases. Yeah, it'd be unthinkable to have to like zoom in and out and you know identify each unit and be like, oh, he's got the the fire bat patch on his armor. So he's a fire bat, but from, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it would be, yeah. it would make the game completely unplayable. Um, it's, I, I can see why someone who started to design this for Warhammer would have had that mentality because they don't just call Warhammer 40 K for nothing, right? Like there's 40,000 miniatures on the field at any <laughs> given time. Right. So it's just being able to quickly identify units and troop placements and deployments and who's going where like it, the game would be unplayable. Otherwise, the final thing that I'll say about that is that, and, and, and is that I think that one of the concepts I, I want to mention later. So I want to lay the groundwork a little bit here is uh, the, the concept of cognitive load. So cognitive load is the idea is it's how many thoughts per unit time are you being asked to make, right? So the the classic example that I normally kind of give for this is that, you know, in uh, Call of Duty versus chess, which one has the sa- the higher cognitive load? And I get various answers in either direction, but the answer is they're actually both about the same because Call of Duty is asking you to make low-key decisions very, very, very quickly, right? Um, but it, and, and chess is asking you to make a whole bunch of thought, but it gives you a tremendous amount of time to work through it. So this game has a high cognitive load in the sense that it is asking you to make a tremendous number of decisions very, very, very quickly. So the, the thing that the developers have to do is 
every opportunity they they get, they have to chip away at that cognitive load. So you can't be sitting there trying to guess, all right, wait, what do these do again? So the the clear silhouetted tokenized versions of all of these different uh, factions and different units is absolutely critical to make the game even playable. How did you feel, though, about balancing the way everything looked with the way everything sounds? Because I yeah. like... I, no, and, and I, I mean this, this really mattered to me when I was playing through the Zerg, right? Because the Terran are all super Terran, right? It's it's a lot of like, you know, yeah, just it's all it's all rednecky, you know, big bravado and that that's whatever. But they have great music, right? All the races have excellent music, but the the Zerg have so many squishy noises mm-hmm. <laughs> just everything <laughs> makes an absolutely sickening squishy noise you know it, it's interesting you say that i think that i was able to i couldn't tell you what squishy noise each one makes <laughs> off the top of my head but i think that in the in the heat of playing i would recognize each squishy noise as being uniquely squishy uh because and and it goes from with the audio cues, you have different audio cues for each building that you select. Mm-hmm. Your unit producing, producing structures, I believe, all make the same noise. But all your different tech structures, all your different units, uh, when units are completed, when um, upgrades are completed, you get a audio cue for all those things. So I was going to say that I think that the game does its audio cues just as well as its visual cues. But uh, maybe maybe I'm overestimating my ability to remember different squishes. <laughs> for, for me, honestly, um, I I would agree with you. I felt that the the squishy noises. Um, one is is that <laughs> is if you said what what if what if all of the buildings were made out of flesh, and uh, and it's like well what what would those sound like? It's like I mean they'd all probably sound a little squishy. Um, but uh, but I do think that even with like. The, the the first thing that comes to mind is the different units, you know, the the game letting you know, hey, these units you started building are now done building because for the Terrans and for the Protoss, they say stuff, you know, they'll say like uh, uh, power overwhelming or uh, I am returned or something like that. Uh, but uh, for the Zerg, they don't really talk, right? You know, only the Cerebrates talk in Kerrigan and the Overmind and all that kind of good stuff, right? So, um, but like, so for example, the... Um, the Zerg make kind of a, a the Zerglings make kind of a, a high pitched upward tone squeal, right? Um, the Hydralisks make kind of a like a like an, an outward breathing sound, and the Mutalisks uh, make a a screech. You know, so so even all three of those different units, and the, and to be and, and if you didn't know which three units I used the most when I played the Zerg, <laughs> it was those. Three. <laughs> Um, but uh, but even even when trying to differentiate between something that doesn't speak, so they can't use words, I felt that they did a good job of being like, all right, well, it has to sound, it all has to sound like a, a living, breathing thing made the noise, but the noises can't sound the same. And so I, I, I agree. I think that they actually did a pretty good job. I don't know if they made it not annoying. Like, there were definitely times where I was like, no, I get it. Shut up. But uh, <laughs> but I think that as far as feeding me information, I was able to discern what each noise was pretty quickly. I, I'm with you, both of you, on the the utility of it and the execution. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. What I did find annoying... Um, just to not rehash, I co-sign what you both said, but uh, what I did find annoying is selecting units that talk, particularly mm. the Terran. It's not as bad with uh, the Protoss. 
And and if there's one unit who is no question the worst in the entire game, it's Kerrigan because she's <laughs> all the way up on her high horse about everything. So every time you select her for the the missions that you have her during the Zerg, um, spoiler, she becomes a Zerg. Um, every time that you, you select her, I know, right? Um, it was a really cool <laughs> twist to go through for the first time. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, she kind of like belligerent with you, which mm. is like cute the first. 400 times but one of the missions you have to control her personally in is a like uh dungeon crawly style like go from here to there and do a thing not like make your base destroy the enemy base so you're clicking on her a lot and she just she gets annoying but the the splurky noises the the units built the um research complete building you know construction complete those are all I found to not just be critical in the beginning of the game to kind of like getting the lay of like, oh, this unit, you know, feels this way and it looks this way and it sounds this way. But in the, I don't know, probably by the beginning of the Zerg episode, which is only, you know, there's three, so it's the second episode, um, you're already dealing with an overwhelming amount of crap. So any audio cues that save you from having to go and look, right? Like, I don't have to go and look at what building is built or what units just finished being made or whatever. Like, I just heard the screech or the splork or the whatever. So I know that unit is now good to go or that building is now completed or whatever. And that, that just like my eyes got tired, man. Sometimes there's like a million units on screen. So it was just <laughs> nice to outsource some of that processing to audio. Um, I thought that the, the unit selection noises would get annoying and they, they're not super fun by the 10 million time. But the only one that really made me want to be just like, can I play this game with the sound <laughs> off was, was Kerrigan, but no, no, you should not try and play this game with sound off. The, uh, the last two two kind of notes I have in this this arena, they're just kind of throwaway notes. Uh, one is to dovetail on that is that uh, Kerrigan does not look as cool as I remember. You know, <laughs> like I I just remember her being the queen of blades and having this like a- amazing you know living by and and the th- the problem is that a lot of people think Kerrigan's cool, so a lot of people have done artwork of Kerrigan over the years that has just popped up you know around right so i was like oh yeah so i just juxtaposed that image on like this 3d model and i was like this is what she looked like nah this can't be right um and then that that that's the other note which is that uh uh overall i thought the visuals held up very very well except obviously for the the full 3d rendered scenes um those (laughs) those particularly even the ones where it was just like ships and stuff i may have given it a pass but man the minute that they tried to render a human i was like oh no don't do that don't don't do that they're all sid from toy story (laughs) every every one of them that's a good way to put it yeah george i just want to say i i agree with that point as well i think that the way hero units are represented (laughs) in this game is actually uh pretty poor and it's a significant <laughs> step down from, you know, Warcraft 3, which would came, come later. And I think, yeah, Kerrigan in particular is, um, isn't is that intimidating? <laughs> isn't that cool looking? <laughs> she, she, she looks less like, you know, the Queen of Blades, more like the Queen of Lictor Fingers and stuck it in an electrical socket. She looks like an infested <laughs> Terran. She just looks like Ooh, a yeah. zombie. Yeah, that's that's yeah, yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, no I, I agreed 100%. Um, I think... Uh, now that we've crapped on the cutscenes, which was absolutely an important note to make sure we didn't miss, um, I think I'm good on 
audiovisual. Uh, George, Patrick, you got anything else before we move into gameplay? No, it's mostly it for me. I'm good. All right. So uh, I will say as the the first timer here for the gameplay, um, story is way, way, way thicker than I expected, um, <laughs> which I was actually really happy about because RTS is not my genre. I was really afraid I was going to get super bored. By the end of the game, I was getting super bored, but it took a lot longer because I was getting invested in these characters and in the, I love the way they kind of like interwove the, the beginning of the Zerg mission picks up from them kind of being beaten down at the end of the Terran mission, you know, ditto the, the way the Protoss starts. And by the end of the Protoss story, they've kind of reset the balance the Protoss have the technology, but their numbers have been thinned. Uh, the the Zerg are in disarray because the Overmind's been destroyed. And the Terran have their numbers back, but they're still so like technologically disadvantaged and they're sort of out of their element. So it's like you kind of end back up with the same balance that you started with, but it it feels like you got there in a meaningful way, which I, I didn't expect at all. I thought like this would just be, you know, smashing action figures together for 30 missions and then you're done. Um, but by the end, like you legitimately like some characters, you hate some villains. Like it, it's, it was cool. I appreciated that. And I don't remember Warcraft being like that at all. Yeah. I think that from, uh, from my seat, uh, it's, it's nowhere near this polished or this emotive or anything like that. So I, I don't want to say that these two things are the same, but I think it's in the same kind of feel, um, which is, it's, it's kind of like in, in the last of us too, which, uh, you know, spoilers if you haven't that not for the whole game but you know uh is uh is how they make you play as one person and then play like they make you play as the protagonist and then make you play as the antagonist you mm-hmm. know so in this right you know is is it's like oh you got to defeat the evil zerg now play the evil zerg you know <laughs> <laughs> and you're like oh well oh, okay so now and so then you get invested in the zerg and then all of a sudden it's like okay now play the protoss and go kill the zerg and you're like but no, I worked really hard, man. You know, like can't like why, why are we why are we doing this to ourselves? So it's uh, it is fascinating for them to literally say, uh, you know, yeah, you, you you beat these guys. Now you rebuild what you broke, player. Um, I hope you guys don't mind if I take a little detour here and do kind of like a bit of a big-minded philosophical thing. I know I know you Please. guys have done this <laughs> on the Nostalgia Goals podcast a lot, so I thought I'd go along with it. So. I did Red Alert 2 for my podcast a while ago, and one of the things I realized while playing it is that story is critical for RTS games. Like, it's not a thing on the side. It is an essential part of every good RTS game. And the reasoning I came to for why this is the case is that I think RTS games are probably some of the most abstracted kind of video games that you can play. Um, If you're playing Call of Duty, yes, it's not realistic or anything, but there's not as many layers of abstraction between playing as a guy shooting bad guys and real life. Like, you can kind of imagine, yes, a guy in the army would walk around and shoot people. But when you look at the physical actions you take in an RTS games where... It's all on-site procurement where you, you know, build some units that harvest minerals, whatever the hell they are, which turn (laughs) into money, which then let you build people out of a building (laughs) that you've built 30 seconds ago. RTSs make no fucking sense. Like, they really don't. It's, It's very, very abstract what you're doing in terms of how it resembles real life. 
And we rely heavily on that story to kind of trick us into hand-waving all of that nonsense away. When you play an RTS mission and you're playing as, you know, Jim Rayner trying to wipe out a Zerg colony, that is what you're doing. In your head, you're like, yep, I'm building up a base to wipe out the Zerg colony. And you kind of don't really think about the physical actions you're taking in this game. So I just wanted to talk I just wanted to introduce that as a concept this sto- the story being critical as a way for us to kind of bridge the gap between what we imagine battles in real life would look like versus what we're actually doing in this RTS game. That's fascinating. No, I, I never I never really thought of it that way. Like my um and 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 I would agree with that. It, it's it's interesting. One of the things that uh that I, I had a note about is that, you know, I when I said kind of at the beginning where, uh, you know, this 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 playing at this time has lifted 20 years of feeling inadequate off of my shoulders, because when I played this game, and I was 16 with my friends. They just ran circles around me. And I was like, I, I guess I just suck at these types of games. But now I, uh, I, I fared way better. In fact, I actually did one of the uh, local multiplayers. Um, and I just schooled the computer and I was like, oh man, like eight computers and I mean, free for all and, and, and was able to beat them. Uh, and so I, I, and I kind of attributed that to like, oh, well, basically all this is, is just management. It's resource management, you know, mm. which is as you grow older, you, <laughs> you either get that skill or, or your life doesn't go very well. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but that being said is that I, I, I agree completely. I think that the story does two things is, is one it uh it serves as one long tutorial that you're entirely okay with. So if they tried to teach you all of this stuff through an actual tutorial, it would take three hours and you'd give up. You'd walk away. But instead, they're like, hey, you, to your point, right? You, you're Jim Rayner. Go take this base. And in order to do that, you need to use these three tools. Now you're this other person. Now go do this other thing. And you've got those three tools plus an additional two tools, you know? And then by the time you're all said and done, you're you're, you're playing the game. You are... Um, you know, it, it's kind of like when we played Dooms 2016, you, you are the Doom Slayer now, you know, it just, they, they, but if they gave you all the weapons at the start, it would have been overwhelming. So they just give it to you one, one piece at a time. So I, I think, uh, I, I agree completely. I, and I never would have thought, uh, about the, the fact that you need that to not only slowly give you the tools, but also to, uh, get your mind out of the, to bridge the abstract to the real. So that's fascinating. I, I, I like that. So here comes my first time player perspective. Crap all over this. Um, Good. I I think you're wrong. It should feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, always. Um, I think the, <laughs> the story uh, and like the, the characterization um, of what you're doing and who you're doing it for and what you're defending or what you're assaulting and why, like that drove me forward quite a bit. I didn't feel that translation to some new mechanics as they were introduced. And weirdly, I felt the worst about this during the Terran episode, which is the first one. So what I mean is the first like two or three missions for the Terran are like so baby handholdy, like you have one unit type and you do one thing and it's super obvious what you have to do because it's it's like a locked door. You cannot go through it without mastering this mechanic. But by the third or fourth mission, they're like, hey, now you have these buildings. And it's like, oh, I see that these buildings do a few different things. What do they do? And they're like, I don't know. Try it. Like, develop that technology. Build that unit. See what it does. And that was 
jarring, like as a player, because I was like, Oh, they, I guess the, the trading wheels came off and now I need to experiment and try things and see how things work. But you get a little bit of ludonarrative dissonance because no one in universe feels that way, right? There is no like <laughs> vanilla Marine on his first day that I'm supposed to be inhabiting. And it's like, Oh, well, I don't know what kind of ship this is. Why don't you tell me all about this ship as like a, a unbeknownst to you, they're all vanilla Marines and they're terrified <laughs> and looking to you, you know, they're just, yeah, right. just putting on a good face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, it's, they talk tough, but they're all full of crap. Um, but it, I just, I felt a little bit of ludonarrative dissonance, not because, oh, well, they all know what's going on and I'm an idiot out here in the cold. It's because just one mission prior, we had all been in on the fact that I didn't know what was going on. And now they're all looking at me like, don't you know how everything works yet? So I, I had a few missions of like, basically save scumming as game design, where I would build a bunch of crap just to destroy it and see what happened. Like, oh, okay, I built this ship. I'll send it over here and so I can see how fast it moves and so I can see what abilities it has and just like trial and error. But it's, you know, if a, a mission for a first time player, like some of these missions took an hour longer sometimes. So there was a limit to how much I was willing to risk restarting an entire mission. So a lot of yeah. my trial and error experimentation was done not through game design, but through save scumming, which felt icky at first and then i eventually got over it because pc games feel like they kind of expect that to the point where some modern pc games actively screw with your ability to save because console games didn't always make saves coming an option but pc games almost always do so it's it's not i don't think there's a complete breakdown between go forth you know super soldier and save us from the buggers but there is a little bit of a disconnect that I think you only notice on your first pass and all subsequent playthroughs. You'd be like, Oh yeah, I remember what this does. Oh yeah. I remember what this does. Yeah. I, I think that's a very fair criticism and um, it's something that you have to look forward to in uh, Starcraft two, I guess Starcraft two. This is something that they do really, really well. Uh, each and every mission, they unlock a new unit and the mission is designed around maximizing that unit and there's always a story justification given as to why you now have access to that unit. And there's even a whole metagame where you get to decide different ways to power that unit up by gathering side mission resources. As you play through StarCraft 2, at least, this is all incorporated into the storytelling. I agree with you that that advancement in technology is not explained or given any justification whatsoever in this game. When and this this may be my own uh uh you know nostalgic goggles <laughs> for it but uh, i i will say that um it it is a little bit more uh intense on the the terran side but um when when the game gives you for example in 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 the zerg when they're like oh now you can create zerg queens and those can infect terran uh terran stuff and i said cool I'm never going to do that. And I did. Samesies. Never did yeah. it. Not once. Except I think there's one mission where it's literally required. Well, there are about, there are about 8,000 missile turrets around every base. So I don't even know how you <laughs> meant to do it. Yeah. I, I, I don't know either because I was like, this, this seems suboptimal because it, <laughs> it's like, I'm going to go kill them. It's like, oh, but what if you infect them first? It, that sounds like killing them, but with extra steps, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. So, um, and, and even in the, uh, the multiplayer game that I played, uh, 
I played as the Protoss um, because they, they were my jam back when I was younger. Um, and I, you, I was you like, have been quoting them the most. Yes, because I mean, again, like I, I, I they said it was literally the first one I chose, and then I just kept kept playing as them. Uh, but uh, um, when I when I played, and and so I just swept the computer. It wasn't until I was kind of going around and eradicating the last few people where I said. Oh, I never built like half of the buildings that I can build for the Protoss. And so I went ahead and built them to experience building them, but I just went Dragoons, Zealots, and Archons, man, and just just wiped the whole field. So the game doesn't now it, I'm I'm sure at high levels of play you have to have mastery over every square inch of this game. But um, you know, in order to just enjoy it or enjoy it against computer or enjoy it against friend, you you don't have to master all of it. You can completely overlook the huge swaths of the game. I I never used ghosts. I think ghosts are silly. But, uh, you know, because why, why, why use a ghost? This was a huge uh, issue for me in eventually kind of getting a little bit bored, which was uh, the strategy that I have been lovingly referring to as choke their rivers with our dead. <laughs> that yep. uh, It turns out that actually works for all three races. It's worse for the Protoss because their units are much slower to build because they're more powerful, right? And they, they have a very intricate and well thought out balance system. Like these, you know, this race is better at this and worse at that. This race is better at that and worse, worse at this, right? The, there's the, the same play style is not optimal for all three races, but choke their rivers with our dead is a viable solution to virtually every single problem. And I realized uh, partially on my own and partially someone in, in Twitch chat confirmed it is once you get above, cause I, I think the unit cap is 200. That is accurate. And so once you get into the hundred, so between 100 and 200, the computer sort of stops aggressively building new units. It doesn't mm. completely halt, but they really dial back on production and kind of hoard resources. So if you just build 200 Marines and then put them into, well, I guess, you know, 190, and then you put them into drop ships, you can just Zergling your way to victory. And you can do <laughs> that certainly works with the Zerg, right? Where that is actually the, op, the nearly optimal strategy is to just choke their rivers with your dead because they're not individuals and you don't care about them as people. And when I finally got to the Protoss episode, I was like, ah, surely this won't still work. And it's slower, but it does still work. And I was like, oh, this is <laughs> not good because I'm now getting to the point where I'm fighting against the what the game wants. The game wants me to embrace what makes each of these races their race. And instead, I'm just like, yeah, but if you can't get your supply trucks through because the road is piled with corpses, that's basically a victory, right? Right. We're going to call it a victory. Okay. So that, that was like, I'm, I'm curious how you more experienced folks felt about kind of the balance between races. So, so basically on that issue of choking, you know, the rivers with the dead, I think the root of the issue comes from a problem with this antiquated RTS mission design. Um, and it's, Basically, that no pressure is put on you really to prevent you from accumulating resources and increasing your tech to the point where you have a 200 army supply to kind of face roll the enemy with max upgraded units. 
What um what modern RTS mission design does in both Warcraft 3 and StarCraft 2 is that it basically puts pressure on you so that you can't both effectively build up your resources and tech and maintain an army at the same time. So I'll use an example from Warcraft 3. Have you guys both played Warcraft 3? No, nah, my roommate actually. stole it. <laughs> uh, okay, sure, yeah. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll just explain this mission. This is probably one of the the most famous missions in Warcraft 3. It's called The Purge. And the basic idea is, uh, without spoiling it, you basically have to destroy a bunch of buildings and the enemy is also trying to destroy a bunch of buildings and you have to destroy a 100 of these buildings before the enemy can. So you've got some pressure on you, right? You need to be actively sending out armies to destroy the to destroy these buildings as they're also going about it. If you just sit on your laurels and build up your economy and your tech, the enemy is going to destroy the buildings before you and you can't win. Starcraft two, Starcraft 1, sorry, never does this. It, it, mm-hmm. it never, ever is like, okay, here's a time-critical objective that if you don't complete in time, you're going to fail the mission or you're going to fail this critical side objective. It just lets you build up your defenses build up your army, keep sending wave of units into the enemy before you win the game. And I think that that's a serious problem with the macro structure of the level design. I, I would definitely agree that that, that, that is an issue. Um, I think that what they're trying to do is something that um, like first-person shooters do from time to time, which is uh, pit out-of-game desires to in-game desires. So the out-of-game desire is to beat the level as quickly as possible. Um, and then the in-game desire is to actually win, you know? Um, so they do this kind of like with, uh, with you know, first-person shooters a lot, where the most direct path is the most difficult one. So if you if you really take your time and you take this weird, securitous route, then uh, then you are more likely to win. But if you just kind of want to go in gun, guns blazing, you can do that too, and it's more difficult. Um, but I think that, especially in this early era of game design, what they underestimated that game designers still struggle with today is players are more than happy to optimize the fun out of your game. You know, so if, if there is a optimal way to play it, uh, players will do that. And the optimal way to play this is to sit there and wait until you've got 200 units and, th- and then go in and, uh, and, 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 and do your thing. I will say though, um, the, the one, <laughs> one brief, uh, tangential aside for the choking the rivers with their dead, I, I basically did the same thing except for the Terrans. What I eventually started doing that I found just possibly more effective but definitely more enjoyable is what i call it the leapfrog technique where i would get two- shanks yeah yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah 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 so so what you do is you get you know like one control uh was it control one right you know so what what was it be 12 right 12 siege tanks and you siege them down and then you send others right out to the edge of their their range and you siege those down and you bring the other ones up and you just leapfrog that crap into <laughs> Until you get all the way into the enemy base, and they're like, "I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to deal with this." And you're like, "Yeah, I, I, I don't know how you would either. I would, I would deal with it poorly." <laughs> well, I think that's why I, enjoy, I mean, the the Zerg episode for me as a player happened at the ideal time for maximum enjoyment because I had kind of internalized how the mechanics worked. I'd started to identify with some of the characters in this universe. I wasn't yet feeling like anything was repetitive and the Zerg strategy is choke their rivers with your dead, right? So it, it's just fill every, you know, nook, cranny and orifice with Zerglings. And that is like, there's a, a tight 
uh, bond there ludonarratively, right? Like that is what you are supposed to want. That is how you are supposed to be thinking. These are not individuals that you care about at all, right? Which I also felt that way about the Terran, but like you're not supposed to. So, so with the with or the Zerg, you? I really <laughs> like once I once I understood well like how to time the the um, overlords as dropships and mm-hmm. that the thing the Zerg do much better than the Terran is make units. You can make, if you build several layers, you can build Zerglings at just a blistering pace, like so fast, right? To the point where you, like at the end of so many missions, I ended up with just a field of drones with nothing to do because I had this army just gathering minerals as fast as they could so that I could make Zerglings as fast as they could. And and that like, I hit a, a Goldilocks zone for like the middle of the Zerg campaign because I was like, I understand what I'm supposed to be doing, how I'm supposed to be feeling and the right way to solve a problem where I feel smart, but also the game is like, yes, this is what we expect you to be doing. And so that was, there was like a a high point kind of right in the middle there. And then the, the closer I got to Kerrigan going to war with the, whatever his name is, the the Protoss guy, I was just like, uh, this is okay. I've, I've, I've now killed enough zerglings that guilt is kind of starting to creep in, but I think it might actually be boredom. <laughs> Starcraft can't tell if it's guilt or boredom. <laughs> um, I I will I will say though that I feel that um that all of this is true, but I feel that we may be uh, at least at least I can speak for myself and almost certainly for Lions because you know it's his, it's his first playthrough is um is we may just be dealing with the first order optimal strategy right you know so choking with the, the your rivers with the dead absolutely works until. There, but there are several ways to get around that, right? That the computer just doesn't use, you know? Um, so it's like, yeah, no, no, keep keep doing this and it it will continue to work for you. But then you're going to get, you know, whomped by the first actual player that you play. And then that will force you into more experimentation because that will cease to work. Um, so Because I, 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 one of my notes is, it, is that this game, if you want to play at a high level, you have to do research. Like, it... We we were all able to play it and we all had a good time, but I mean, if if you wanted to say like, no, 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 let's let's truly get a deep deep dive in this game, I'd be like, then we have to do research. We we have to know <laughs> what the DPS is on some of these units. We have to be able to create charts and figure out like, okay, so if I can, you know, in the first five minutes of a multiplayer map, I can, you know, I send all my four drones out and i have a fifth one researching so it will take this much time for those for that first drone to be done and this much time for me to get 50 more minerals do i then spend those minerals on another zerg or do i spend them on a creep colony or do i spend them on like you know like to do all of that right it's interesting you say all that george because that it has been mapped out like right. the korean yeah. pros have have literally <laughs> it's been done the the first the first 10 minutes of starcraft is solved like there's a certain <laughs> response you're meant to do to seeing every single thing my question for you is don't you think the single player campaign can be evaluated on its own merits though like i understand what you're saying that for a multiplayer match, if I went and played multiplayer StarCraft, I'd be like a babe in the woods. But don't mm-hmm. you think don't you think that the single player campaign should be designed in such a way that it provides that compelling macro experience um instead of just being a tutorial? 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's that's a, a very fair question. Um, I think that for me personally, and what I kind of want out of a video game, I I wouldn't want that. But that's because I don't like video games to bring that much frustration into my life. I'll just walk away from it, right? Um, but that that's me personally. Um, uh, I think that uh, you know, so to me, um, you know, some of those those other strategies, right, are ones where uh. You know, it's it's kind of like the new game plus or, or you know, like you can beat the game, but if you want the real ending, you know, you have to to master these additional skills or something like that. Um, I think that this this game could probably benefit from something like that. It's like, yeah, 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 play through play through the, the main mission. But then here are these additional missions that give you additional story or, or go through additional people's backgrounds, give you some additional content, but actually do require some of these uh greater techniques you know um because honestly uh, it, knowing me if uh if i had gotten to the point where you you in order to win this particular scenario you had to infect a uh a terran base with a uh a whatever a queen queen i, pr- I probably would have quit before trying that <laughs> if i'm being entirely honest so uh so that's I, i'll reflect on that a little bit i'm not i i agree that it the the game should have that is for a single player. Um, but uh, maybe it's kind of like a Pokemon situation where if you really want all of the game, you you have to have someone else to play with you. You know, I'll think I, on that. I think this is uh this is the problem. Every competitive game has, which is how do you make the game fun for someone who is playing the single player campaign only they're never going to play with another human, let alone competitively. And then how do you also make those same game mechanics balanced for super high levels of competitive play? Like those things are pretty well understood, right? How to make a good single player game, how to make a good multiplayer game. I think what competitive games almost always struggle with at this time in history and today is bridging that gap, right? So I can get all the way through StarCraft using my my choke the river strategy and even have a great time and feel like it's a fun game and like I enjoy playing it. But then if I ever wanted to play against other humans and God forbid I ever wanted to play competitively, it's like, oh, the game didn't really prepare me for this because right. the game is set up in such a way that the computer behaves fairly consistently and kind of has certain rules, right? Like the, the computer never does a Zerg rush or they never do the thing where the Protoss come and build photon cannons right outside your base, making it impossible <laughs> for you to leave your base, right? Like there are strategies that humans absolutely can do to the point where I think some of them are even banned in competitive play because they're just so unfun for everyone involved that I, I think that's a challenge, right? Like how do you take the single player mortal combat experience and say, Oh, now you are, the game has taught you to be good enough that you could play against other very skilled human players. Like that's a, it's a really difficult design thing because humans feel very differently against playing about playing against other humans. Right. If I absolutely steamroll the computer with a really cheesy strategy, I feel pretty great about it. If a human steamrolls another human with a really cheesy strategy, you just don't, play with that person anymore i mean george i, I believe you have shared before the yeah. story of yeah would you like to summarize yeah so so basically um i was playing uh, uh smash brothers melee with uh with one of uh our, our college friends that i was living with and he it's did the that, same uh, one who stole warcraft 3 yeah, yeah. <laughs> just 
top to bottom, just <laughs> not. I, I'm sure. I'm sure he's great now. You know, I'm sure that like time has rounded off his edges. But at the time, man, he was he was a tough person to deal with. Um, but uh, but yeah. So basically, he he had learned somewhere somehow that you know to do the the a weird shield dodge. Um, you know, which I'm sure is 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 very highly acceptable, and there's a counter for it at high level play or whatever. But basically, meant that a to to lose a single stock would take 20 minutes, and it was completely unfun. So we had five stock. After I lost two, I just placed the controller down, and he threw me off the ledge, and I said, "I will never play this game with you again, ever." And he said, "You're just being a sore loser." I'm like, "No, you have made this game unfun. This is not fun, and it's a game. So we're done here." Uh, I'm going to go and not talk to you for a little bit because I am very angry. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, to, to your point, right, is that, yeah, if if I, if I did, if and if, if this human did that against the computer, I'd be like, oh, hey, good job, man. You know, but when he did it to me, I was like, did, did, what what is wrong with you? Are you a sociopath? Yeah, it's funny. I, I think that I'm I just have a different view on these things. I have no problem with cheese. I'm I guess I'm a very I'm a very competitive person with mm-hmm. with video games. Like I love my single player games, but I view them as like a single player game is like reading a book to me. It's something mm-hmm. I'm I'm like doing as a personal pursuit. But when it's multiplayer, mate, the gloves are off. Anything <laughs> is viable. Because at those higher levels there is a response to most strategies right and i think that you can do stuff like you can house rule certain things is not allowed but i i don't know what what it boils down to returning to the overall point is that i view single player games and the single player game of starcraft and the multiplayer game of starcraft they may as well be completely different games i would agree like with they, that for sure they, they they share the same name but honestly they're completely different but what that means is that I want the single player experience to be fulfilling entirely on its own merits. And then the multiplayer experience is aiming to fulfill a different sort of set of urges, which, you know, boils down to me stomping people into the dirt. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not what I want from the single player experience. I want something that challenges me in uh, in interesting ways. And and I think generally StarCraft does that better than most fighting games most fighting games are competitive first single player distant second right this game feels like they actually wanted it to be fun single player and be you know potentially fun uh competitive and that's that's a lot more work it's way more work to do that but i'm, I'm with you if it's if the single player mode is just there so that I can practice fireballs so that when my friend comes over after school, I can fireball him in the face. Then to me, that's not a single player game. It is a two player game with a practice mode. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, Patrick, are you familiar with uh, Bartle's taxonomy? I am not. Sorry. Uh, no, it's it's uh, when you get a chance, go go check that out, because uh, everything you just said, I think, puts you firmly into one of the categories. It's, it's oh, yes. four categories of player. What? All right. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, like, like I, I would be interested when you go and kind of go through it. You're like, no, not that one. Not that. That one's me. You know, I, I <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a look. It sounds interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's actually it's, it's a good way to kind of categorize. I, I actually find it good in, in managing people as well. But uh, it's it's it really helps you get a feel for why people play video games. It's interesting. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Magic the Gathering, but they have a similar taxonomy structure. Spikes, Johnny's. Uh, Timmy's, I don't know if you've heard that. 
No, it sounds like it sounds like a similar thing. And in competitive, I'm a spike, which is the very, very competitive minded player that derives their fun from the competition and pushing things to the max. So I'll uh, I'll check that out. It sounds very interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the the uh, basically um one of the the the. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but I did want to make sure that we we discuss it a, a tad. Is um is that so? A lot of games um pretend to have choice in them, but don't actually, right? So, uh, take for example, uh, World of Warcraft, right? So they're like, look, look at all of these things that you know these these different characters can do, these different classes can do, and it's like, yeah, but it's all meaningless. There is, it, it's a solved puzzle, right? You know, to your point, right? Um, so the, the nice thing is that I, I believe, um, I'm interested in your, your, your all viewpoints is, uh, is outside of, um, outside of high level competitive play, there is actually a lot of choice in this game, you know? So, uh, if you want to, um, if you, if you just really, really love Zerglings and you love choking your rivers with your dead, then you can do that. If you want to fight a sky battle and that's the way you want to play, you can do that. Uh, like I just said, uh, when I was playing Protoss is I, I just didn't want to deal with any of the flying units so i didn't and i still won you know so um so as opposed to a lot of games where they're like look at all these things you can do but really do this one thing and do it this way um this game actually does afford you choice which i found uh, i found really enjoyable i think they do a good job of not tying character motivations or story elements overly tight to like unit mechanics like they they will tell you like oh hey you really need this unit to do this thing right like you need drop ships because there are people who are inaccessible by land right like you literally need a drop ship to get over there but the kind of because drop ships cannot attack right overlords cannot attack so the kind of units you send how much you send do you send them in a giant wave or is it a constant trickle like there is even in those places where they kind of force you for gameplay tutorial reasons to do a thing. I still felt like they did a pretty good job of never making me feel like Jimmy was judging me or Kerrigan thought <laughs> I was stupid because I wasn't using ghosts or whatever. It's like, Oh no, this is, these are all of the tools in my tool belt and I can use all of them. I can use some of them. I can use one of them. Right. And that's, I, I think good because what really sucks is having a lot of options and choosing one or two repeatedly and the game openly judging you for it being like it, it's it's a it's like the mechanical equivalent of when you beat a big boss in like an rpg or something and then you die anyway because for story oh, reasons yeah. you were supposed to die and it's like why was this not just a cutscene or or yeah. why was this pre-scripted event not way shorter like now i just feel or like an idiot way, for burning a bunch of elixirs or way waited like i actually really enjoyed you know i always hated it when they would do a story a, a event where you beat the bad guy and then all of a sudden it shows you like the, literally the next thing is you you know falling face first on the concrete <laughs> right. And it's like that's not what happened. I just, I just ruined this guy. I won. But I really, yeah. but I, I, really I, loved I it did when not. Would... I did not feel that way about my choices in this. It was like if I yeah. choose this unit or that unit, the game is equally happy as long as I'm successful in whatever the objectives are. So it's, it does feel like you're you have a lot of choices and they are meaningful to how quickly you're successful, how much you struggle, what kinds of struggles you have. Like they are, they they feel relevant. 
Yeah, also, I, I don't know about you guys, but I found controlling the game and controlling my armies fun. And mm. this was something that was really counterintuitive to me to kind of get my head around. How does Nostalgia Goggles feel about lists? Can can I can I give a bit of a list oh, here? Bring, bring yeah, a go list. for it. All right, sure. So StarCraft has a bunch of what at first I thought are absolutely awful uh, macro control decisions because I've been complaining a lot about the, um, I guess, macro level design. I want to talk about the macro decisions and the way in which you can control your army. So to begin my list, okay, so you can only have 12 units in a control group. You can only have 12 units. It doesn't matter if they're 12 Zerglings or 12 Battle Cruisers. You can only have 12. Um, you cannot have multiple buildings in a control group. If I have six barracks, I can't put all six barracks on one hotkey. Each and every bar- each and every structure needs a separate hotkey. Um, your drones and SCVs and and probes they don't automatically mine. If you That's rally them to minerals, yeah. <laughs> they're going to sit there looking at your mineral line. And for Zerg, frustratingly, there's not two separate waypoints. You don't have a waypoint for your drones and a waypoint for your army units. They're two separate. There's only one. So you need to take every single. You can't just rally units to the front line. Um, you cannot queue up multiple buildings when you try and use an SCV or probe to build things. Minerals are deducted when the buildings get built, not when you queue them. Yeah. So it means that your, your your unit can walk up to where you wanted them to build a building. And if you're five minerals short, they'll just sit there doing nothing. Um, and the pathfinding is the worst in any game I've ever played <laughs> in my life. It's so bad. Thank God you also feel that way because I thought I was just an idiot. No. So, so all of this put together sounds nightmarish, right? However, and this is what... I can't, I, it took me a while to understand. I really enjoyed having to micro my army and my building and my army building in a way that I'm not required to do in modern RTS games. Getting your army where you want your army to go is a gameplay mechanic. Yes. It's not clicking your guys over there. It's a, it's a bloody struggle. And you have to be working on it. <laughs> Trying to build four units from your barracks and your factory. My God, you better you better be on point with your micro or it isn't going to happen. And this is something that's been streamlined to the point of barely existing in modern RTS games because they're like, this shit is annoying. We need to stop the best way to, we need to make this easier for the player. But I think with modern RTSs in their desire to make things so much more streamlined and easier something meaningful was lost here something intrinsically fun about controlling your army and your and your base building was lost i'm I'm interested to hear what you guys thought if this was just pure frustration or if you got something out of it like i did no uh, honestly agreed completely i found (laughs) what, what it made me think of was um so for example right especially i don't know all of the units, like their pathfinding, sucked. For me, in particular, the dragoons are terrible. They're just because they're big, you know, so they take up a lot of space. And and then you know they'll just wander around, being like, I, I don't know, man, I don't know, I don't know. Like like John was in the way, so I decided to walk half. <laughs> it would be like if somebody was in front of me in line, like in a queue. I decided to walk around the earth to just attack it from another direction, you know? And and that was totally reasonable to me. But what, to your point, right, is that it's manageable, though. It's not just 
broken, right, to the point where you're like, well, I tried to attack this base, and my units flew off into a million different directions, and I don't know what to do, and it's frustrating, is because it is manageable. So I actually treated it like more like ancient um, or, or uh, uh, medieval um, army building where you you had to spend time and set up your 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 units and your uh battalions before a battle right and it it took time to form up your units so what i would do is i'd have like four different you know sets of dragoons all the key to different hotkeys and i i know where the bad guys are and i'd say okay now unit one i want you to get here and i would place them in kind of a grid pattern and then say now unit one i need you to go in and go to the north unit two i need you to go in and go to the south and then three and four move straight forward and then that would get them all into where they needed to be quickly you i couldn't just say everyone go attack this base i had to be very specific about like these units move around to the flanks these two do a direct push inward um and i found that really enjoyable it it it's not something that you can just do you know like you've got to put some planning into it but uh but yeah, I, I actually really liked it. So this is a skill that the game <laughs> does not overtly teach you, but it does expose you to the idea very early on in a way that I think could actually be experience ruining for <laughs> a, a player that doesn't realize what's happening. So uh, allow me to paint a picture for you. Um I didn't use any macros. I didn't assign anyone to any hotkeys. <laughs> oh my god! Ever. <laughs> that's a that's a huge bummer, my man. How how did you we, finish the game? We, we, should, we should play StarCraft competitively at some point. Yeah. So here here's the thing. Oh is, my god! So for the first several uh, Terran missions, right? So your your little baby's first uh, StarCraft missions. I because I don't play RTSs, so I knew that that was a thing, but I thought that was like the claw grip, right? Like, that's a high-level thing. That's not a thing that's required. So for the first couple missions, I would select the units I wanted with the mouse, and then I would right-click where I wanted them to walk to or the thing I wanted them to murder, and then that stops working very early on where you must learn the a key makes them attack and and it's actually it's true for a reason that i think is i assume intentional because otherwise you would like you would have less control over your units but if you have a unit at point a and you want to get them to point b and there are baddies between point a and b if you tell them to move they will blindly march in a straight is the straightest line they can manage, which is not always very straight, but the straightest line they can manage while they are being shot to death. But yep. if you tell them go attack something over near point B, they will stop and defend themselves while they are walking from a to B. And did you ever use attack move? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if you say like attack over here, and they Attack get in- the ground. Yeah. Yes. And this is something that like screwed me so bad with the pathfinding is if you are sending, you know, wave after wave of Zerglings and you're telling them to attack a thing and that thing is destroyed, they will just stop dead just in their out. tracks. Oh, wow. Con- right. yep. Yeah. Total amnesia. And so I, I learned fairly early in the game, like in the first, I don't know, probably third, I was like, oh, you have to tell them, go attack the ground, because that is the only way to communicate to the units, go from here to here and to defend yourselves along the ways, you f- morons. Like, it's just such a bizarre 
way to communicate that information, but it's such a critical thing to communicate to them. And then once I understood it, I was like, oh, okay, this is fine. But uh, the the second half of the Zerg episode and the beginning of the Protoss episode, that's when I was starting to feel like I'm supposed to be learning how hotkeys work. I'm really, really supposed to be learning how hotkeys work, <laughs> but it hasn't stopped me from being successful yet. So I'm going to just keep blundering on. But the like the looming specter of it was becoming oppressive because there's just so many units there's so many buildings there's so much stuff going on. So I think I would find acquiring those skills to be more satisfying because every time I had to do something slow and clunky, there was just like that. There's a better way <laughs> kind of, kind of feeling. So I, I, I think if I had invested in that more as a player, I would have found managing more enjoyable, but it wasn't so bad that I ever found it unenjoyable, which is still, an accomplishment. Well, and I will say that that while it, it's it's very easy to sit there and 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 poke at the dumb hydralisks who are just like meandering by these people who are shooting them in the face, right? Um, I will say that because of the poor pathfinding and the way that they can all kind of get bottled up, it's ap- it is very necessary to be like move here, don't attack anything, you know? Because mm-hmm. that technique I was just describing, like I needed them to move into the base and even if they were being attacked, kind of ignore that for a few seconds because I needed them to get past the bottleneck, you know? Well, um, and the opposite is true. The units you leave at your base, you had better explicitly tell them to hold position. Otherwise, they can be kited away from the base. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it was uh, although I will say one of the things I found immensely satisfying uh, back then and I did now is um, telling a whole bunch of units like, hey, don't 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 attack this big building. Just get near it. And so that way they all attacked it at the same time as opposed to just like as they walked <laughs> up to it and just watching something go from 1500 health to zero in like two seconds is immensely satisfying. I I, I don't know why, but well, it is. Especially when you spec the Zerg, uh, Zergling attack speed up. So it's just <laughs> the Terran base is a circle. It's completely surrounded and they just all like pull back their claws at once. It just grab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, were you, so were you using hotkeys at all I, I know you weren't using like control groups but were you using hotkeys to build any of your units like when i've got my scv i'm pressing uh letters on the keyboard to initiate build and then i'll press uh sorry v for advanced structures then s for starport because i i guess i've played enough starcraft to and RTS games in general, that a lot of that stuff is pre-programmed in my head. Were you doing that at all, or was it all just clicking on things? So th- this is where uh, the audience um, suffers from this not being a video podcast, because uh, they're not going to get to see what I'm sure will be a crestfallen look on your face when I say, nah. Nah. I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> like, you gotta, if this is your first time playing, that makes a lot of sense. I think that... He's not mad, I he's think, just disappointed. I think... I think, well, what I think is interesting, I'm I'm not mad. I'm not upset. People have to start somewhere with genres, man. They yeah, do. Right. Like, mate, you should have seen me when I first started playing Dark Souls. It was a bloody catastrophe. So don't, Ooh. I'm not going to judge newcomers to the genre. I think this is something that is fun to learn. And I think that I'm excited for you to try out Wings of Liberty. And when you do, I encourage you to start trying to use those hotkeys because I'm by no means an expert, but I think that using those hotkeys, it kind of, it kind of makes, lets you focus more on the fun parts of the game 
as opposed to doing a bunch of clicking and searching through the menu to find the building. You just get to build it. And it, it feels good when you can do that. So heavily encourage you to, to start looking into those things. I think they'll make the game more fun for you. I, I think um, they will. Um, and and I, I think you're right that if I'm going to play Wings of Liberty, there's no reason to do that if I'm not going to try and lean into what the game expects. Because I already know that slowly clicking on the lair to build more Zerglings and sending them, you know, 12 at a time to just go to their deaths is like that's fun for a minute but that's not it, it's playing chopsticks on a piano right like yeah anybody can learn how to play chopsticks or or the melody to heart and souls and and like yes okay you have technically played a piano now very good but but it, it runs out of steam right and so even just learning to use uh, a and M for just attack and move once units are selected. Even that I was like, Oh, but now I know how to play a major chord and it's C major. It's the one everybody can play. But, like, <laughs> but now I understand like what the piano is supposed to feel like. So I, I think you're right. If I'm going to bother to put the time in, I should, you know, put the time in. Um, the, the only other two, uh, the, the one thing that I just, I don't think we'll really have time to cover, but I, I just wanted to mention is this game has cheats. They're delightful. Um, a couple other just uh, uh, throwaway notes that I just wanted to, to toss out there was uh, one is um, to to your point, right, is that, that once you start to hit that 150, 200, you know, unit mark, uh, keeping everything organized does become kind of a chore. And I was like, all right, all right. So I got I've got these units over here, these units over here. And man, I, I really need a guy for this. And then all of a sudden I realized how difficult it must be to maintain like the u.s military you know <laughs> like i just suddenly had this like deep empathy for like oh that's why it's so expensive is because it's kind of a nightmare to rem- even just remember they where run all out the of control are. groups <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly right like they're on on, on control like 5284 and it's like i don't even know man um <laughs> that and the one other one is uh, i'll say it's for the um the the solo multiplayer um you know like it it automatically populates all the other things with computers that's great it defaults to melee which is everyone's attacking you um what you want is free for all where everyone's attacking everyone i Mm. found that out the hilarious hard way (laughs) as i as i built my base up and and all of a sudden the 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 yellow marines came in and i I murdered them all and i was like all right i survived the first onslaught not too bad and then the purple zerg came in and i was like all right you know but i mean statistically this is possible that that multiples could attack me you know that, that that can happen and then wave after wave of every other color like beset my base i was like oh I I have made a critical error here. <laughs> I don't know if this is beatable, but I know I can't beat it. So I did one thing to prove a point is I turned on power overwhelming and I murdered all of them. And then I went and set the game difficulty appropriately. So I, I will say is my, my last note for the gameplay is uh, this game does have cheats. They are yeah. super fun. Um, super fun. And, and as someone who, had like a smattering of pc gaming experience growing up i when i think of cheats i think of uh complicated dances with the controller and the game genie right and i forget that pc games basically built this in as a core feature right and you have to be careful because it's really tempting to just cheat your way to victory and suck a hundred percent of the fun out of the game but i do think it's worth seeing like if if you play uh an rts 
I think it's worth seeing the the power overwhelming cheat for whatever RTS you're playing, just because having one person walk <laughs> through the enemy encampment yeah. while they all lose their minds as they are unable to destroy you is it's worth the chuckle. It's oh fun. You, you know what that is? Is is if you take one marine and you just throw them at the the zerg, right? Like and just have them walk through and kill, that that's doom. You made doom the game. <laughs> <laughs> but, but as an RTS, that's what doom looks like. <laughs> um, I I did have one more final note, if that's all right. Um, uh, basically something that wh- while I was kind of on board with the the amount of micro-eyes having to do just to keep my army functioning at a basic level. Something that irritated me greatly were the tooltips or lack thereof of them. Um, There are a lot of units with abilities in these games, like, for example, the High Templar, which can create an AOE static storm. It's extremely powerful, really good unit. But there's no explanation of what that ability does, even if you hover over it. And there's not even an indication of the size of the area of effect. And there's no... I I was able to get some of the way because of my experience with StarCraft 2, but a lot of the units are different in this game. And um, I found that was a frustrating learning experience particularly since a lot of these abilities are very expensive to research and i don't know if it's something i want to be doing and the lack of explanation as to what they did do discouraged me from exploring them maybe as much as i should have so uh this is one area where i felt like the lack of explanation significantly impacted my experience yeah that that to me feels like the exact same problem as the what does this building do? What does this unit make, right? What is this, uh, if I research this, what will change about the units and how they play? Like there's a kind of thin layer of, we expect you to already know this and, or we expect you to be willing to just try it out. Um, I recall having this exact same issue when we went back and played Master of Orion 2, which is a game I know very well, but I hadn't played in a long time. And I would do the exact same thing, right? I would leave the mouse hovering over in a a unit, a star system, a thing I wanted to research. And I was like, are you, are you going to tell me what this does? No. Okay. (laughs) I guess I'll just press it and see what happens. And at least in a four X game, a lot of those click it and see what happens are like non destructive, but in an RTS, they are destructive choices. I needed those precious resources. I needed those units. I needed the, you know, that energy that I just wasted on testing out that ability. So it's, it feels like a little bit more information, not handholding, but just tell me what these things do so I can make informed choices. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And unfortunately I can't, um, I, I I'm struggling to, uh, make you know in, in my mind i'm struggling to be like oh yeah no that's totally a thing just because again you know like i i do have some experience with the game so i was like oh yeah you know this does thing a this does thing b i remember never using or caring about this unit and faring okay so i'm going to continue to never use or care about this unit um and uh, i'm sure if i continued to play this game into the ground i would eventually mess around with it a little bit um but uh the to, to your point right is that um i think that to me, one of the things that shaved the edge off of that is the fact that the the cheats help, um, which is there was literally one point where I, I did just experiment 
completely screwed around and i didn't the, the, the issue was that i didn't completely nosedive i was winning ish but then i sent all of my units away from my base and there was one zerg mutilisk that was just harassing my my drones you know i was like oh my god it's just gonna take me forever to build something to go kill this thing and then build the drones again and all. so it just turned on power overwhelming for like 30 seconds so I could build the unit to go kill that one thing that I had neglected and then I turned it back <laughs> off you know so I was like I was like I don't want to I don't want to deal with this this isn't going to be fun you know I love um, that you used the cheats like in assist mode <laughs> it did not yeah. even occur once I started experimenting with cheats I became a full-on cheat addict like that was nice. <laughs> what once once I put the needle in my arm that was it man so yeah, that's the thing is is, it, is that I, I I'm a uh, refined cocaine user you know no i, I think that, that's you can stop anytime yeah yeah you know <laughs> I, I think that's honestly the better way to do it right it's just like oh crap i don't it will improve my experience to not have to pay for this mistake as opposed to just rah, 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 i've sucked all the fun out of the game and now i'm done right which is what i did at the end just to see what the cheats were like right yeah no all right, so now we have to ask the final question. Uh, does this game hold up? So I will go first, uh, and then Patrick. Um, yeah, dude, like this game completely holds up, which is a real testament to how thoughtful this game was, but to the kinds of people who say this game was a revolutionary cornerstone of the RTS genre, right? I think, Patrick, I don't remember if if you were saying at the, the beginning of the show or kind of when we were talking pre-flight, but um, a lot of people say that about a lot of games, right? Like everybody says their favorite game from when they were a kid was the best at whatever that thing is. And it's statistically, it just can't be true all the time. But this game, the mechanics are very well balanced uh, visually and aurally. Um, it held <laughs> up surprisingly well, and we played the crappy non-remastered version. There's a remastered version of this game that looks and sounds even sharper. So the fact that it was still fun to play for me, who is not good at RTSs, who doesn't particularly gravitate toward the genre, and I still felt like I cared about seeing the story, I cared about learning the mechanics and and like building a successful base and not just cheesing my way through everything or just using the cheats just to get through the narrative like i was really kind of shocked by that because it's hard sometimes to say oh you should play this platformer even if you don't like platformers but i would legitimately tell someone if you're not sure about rts's and you want to see basically the one that all future rts's are now kind of a derivative of um this game is free you can go and download it for free and give it an honest chance and see why people you know sing its praises so much so for me i'd say no nostalgia goggles required which is again legitimately shocking i was not expecting to be so <laughs> pro on the starcraft experience patrick how did you feel um i think starcraft one absolutely nostalgia goggles off uh stands the test of time uh, I think that the story is fantastic. I think the aesthetics are brilliant. The The biggest problem comes in the fact that the mission design isn't particularly creative or compelling, and you quickly it quickly becomes repetitive, like uh, the way you build up your economy, you build up your tech, and then you kill the enemy. And there's nothing really ever preventing you from doing that from mission to mission to mission. 
However, counterintuitively, it was the features that were utterly hostile to the player uh, <laughs> in how you have to micro your army and micro your base building that actually tipped me over the edge into saying I enjoyed this game. Um StarCraft 2 is a better introduction to someone who's new to RTS games because it smooths everything out, it introduces everything gently, but if you're looking for something that is more hands-on as an RTS experience, I literally had more fun playing through StarCraft 1 than I did um, the StarCraft 2 uh, Protoss campaign, which I was playing concurrently at the same time as this. Uh, it's just really fun controlling your armies, and I think the story gave me enough emotional investment to want to see it through to the end. Um, it's a recommend. It's a great game. Don't play it as your first RTS game, but if, <laughs> if you're familiar with the genre, it's definitely worth your time to check out. Yeah, and, and from my seat, uh, also concur, uh, no nostalgic goggles required. Um, you know, kind of co-sign everything you guys said is that th- this game was genuinely enjoyable. A lot of the times when uh, when we we kind of pick these games out, I'm like, okay, I need to I need to go play this game, you know. Uh, so I'll, I'll shelf the game that I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying playing to go do my homework. Right. Uh, for this one, I was literally most nights. It was a toss up whether I just come down and play this game to the point where uh, I was halfway through our playtime before I realized, oh, I should probably take notes on this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it is just genuinely uh, enjoyable. I mean, everything we've kind of talked about is it, it has a great depth of play. Um, but also, too, you can just kind of sit down and uh, and and the the cost to playing it is super low because w- worst case scenario, if you completely nosedive, you're you're one cheat code away from just you know like like just salvaging that and and moving on you can either save scum use the cheats or whatever you want but for me for my seat this game's power is overwhelming the curtain falls the music plays the credits roll then it all fades to black and you're left by yourself the fanfare is gone there's no player two there by your side to share victories won. But as you slowly progress down the hall to your bed, a few great events leak back into your head from the time that you spent traversing the land. Battling evil, fighting the darkness, just sword in hand. Your memories creep in with the edge of a smile. You realize again what you've lost for a while. You're gonna think back much less 